Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by The Athletic's senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Nicole, good to be back. Not in person this week, no Andy this week, but plenty of stuff to talk about, as always. It's May, and yet there's something big happening, like, every single week. Well, and maybe bigger than usual off-season Big news, too, because and we're going to get into this uh, much more fully later in on the rocks. But gambling has finally uh, broken through. I remember a couple of years ago, Mark Emmert, who was prone to over-exaggeration, and he used the term existential threat all the time about a lot of different topics. But he gave a State of the Union style speech at one of the NCAA conventions and said that sports gambling was going to be a major existential threat for college sports. And not that we're like, you know, at the, uh, our, our wits end about it, but we're going to dive into what these individual um, gambling scandals and investigations mean for college sports at large. We'll get into that in just a second. But that's why, as we sit here in mid-May, there's a lot of news, a lot of news. And Chris, you were already working on a story on it, so we're going to defer to you because you have been covering this stuff for the last few weeks. Um, and we will get into media rights updates, everything else that is happening in college football. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Of course, Andy and Ari always have something cooking. Now that Ari is back from vacation, I'm sure there are more stories that will learn about from Turks and Caicos. Yeah, so you'll did, want to did, stay did you, did you catch his story about the uh, the door shattering on the shower? Yes. Um only Ari, right? Like only Ari. It always happens to Ari. It's, it's yes. in the last few minutes of the last Andy and Ari pot on this feed if you want to go back and listen. But Ari on his belated honeymoon shattered a shower door essentially at a really, really, really nice resort. He yes, at okay. a five star resort. Um, and it's just it's very Ari. Only only Ari, which is as anyone who listens on this feed, you know what that means. So be sure to check it out. Those two will be up to all of their usual antics all off season. Uh, so, so stay tuned and we'll be here every week as a reminder on Power Hour throughout the off season as well. On today's episode of Power Hour, we'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. So we'll dive in. We start as we always do with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute, usually more, to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. As I suggested, uh, we're going to be talking about gambling and gambling investigations a lot. So number one is that there are more of them. Last week, news broke about Alabama and their baseball coach. Now, Iowa and Iowa State have athletes being investigated, totaling 41 student-athletes between them. 
Um, our Scott Dockerman has been all over it. And it's being they're being investigated by gaming officials in the state. Iowa has 26 student athletes from five sports under investigation. Iowa State has 15 student athletes from three sports. Iowa has retained outside counsel. They have the same board of regents. And Iowa has also noted that this is, they're also looking into possible criminal conduct as well as NCAA, NCAA violations. Um, Iowa also released a timeline regarding the investigation. And, you know, everything started around May 2nd. That was when they were notified of, quote, potential criminal conduct related to sports wagering that also suggested possible NCAA violations. And then the information started to trickle out in the following days. They received the list of individuals alleged to have participated on May 4th. Then on May 5th, they notified a couple of athletes that they would not be participating in competitions and alerted the NCAA. So this has been trickling out over the last few days. Again, a lot of it coming from the State Gaming Association. Yeah, this is um, this is like the, the Alabama thing was one thing. It felt like a one-off. Now this feels like this is something that we may find at a lot of places. I am shocked to find gambling, gambling going on in this establishment. Uh, look, we will get into deeper what this all means for college sports later in the on the rocks but as, as it relates to iowa and iowa state the odds seem unlikely that it's only a high number of athletes at those two particular schools who are doing this so we'll see i, I think the alabama thing i think this you're gonna have a lot more schools looking into it obviously there's a difference between potential criminal conduct and ncaa violations as the as the uh, release noted Actually, Tuesday morning, the Action Network uh, said there's no evidence of game fixing involved. So, so we'll see. We'll see how detailed this goes as it plays out. But if you're asking if you think we're going to see more of this, I think we're probably going to see more of this, especially in the age of legalized gambling. And we'll get into more of that later. Number two, wouldn't be an episode of the show if we didn't talk about Pac-12 realignment and media rights. Washington State President Kirk Schultz told uh, the San Jose Mercury News that one reason a deal is, is likely not in place yet is because of the media layoffs that are happening in our industry. If you're not aware, ESPN and Amazon have been laying off hundreds, in some cases thousands of people, um, as is happening in, in many other kind of tech-based industries. And it kind of makes sense that, hey, you probably don't want to announce a big multi-million dollar television deal at that point. Is that the only reason it hasn't happened? I don't know. Probably not. But I did think that was a fair point by Kirk Schultz uh, to, to say that. The Pac-12 had their conference meetings in Phoenix last week as Nicole and I and Andy and I were uh, at. Nicole, what do you make of this? Well, I, I think that you do need to hear from presidents in these situations. And I know that it doesn't necessarily convince fans of maybe the schools that might have more options than Washington State when you hear from the Washington State president. Mm -hmm. um, but this is someone who is very well respected and regarded within the conference and college sports at large. And I just think it's notable whenever a president talks about ongoing negotiations like this. I think it's a valid point. And we're all still just in this waiting pattern until we know what the deal says, until we know what it looks like, who the partners are, how much is streaming, how much is the per school payout. 
So in that void, you need people who know what's going on to speak to it. And so I, I think that's the notable piece. I also have wondered, you know, uh, this is obviously not the world's best time to be in negotiations. And, you know, how much of that could the Pac-12 have gotten ahead of? How much of that was hurt by the Big 12 jumping the line to get their extension done? But clearly, you know, the, the media industry is not in a good place right now. They continue to be layoffs. There's still reportedly going to be two more rounds of ESPN layoffs. So that is very valid. Like this is not a great time to be going to market, especially after the Big 12, you know, got some inventory and took some money out of the system. Yeah. And, and your point, you know, Washington State, they're not a team that's probably being targeted by the Big 12. And we, we've had a lot of presidents speak out now, but Schultz is someone people thought could be the next NCAA president. So it, it is, um, it's going to be another probably month plus or so while we figure this out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't even know. We just, you know, the, the best you can get from people is, is summer. Um, mm. and, and there are some deadlines for, you know, potential additions, you know, if, if they need to leave a conference and give notice, June 30th is a notable date. We've talked about that on this show, um, you know, for, let's say, a San Diego state, and then their exit fee would triple after that date. So it, it's a marker. It may not be like a hard deadline because you could always just join the year after um, if you don't if you don't do that or somehow pay a, an exorbitant exit fee. But, you know, again, we're, we're kind of in this holding pattern until we get information of what the actual deal looks like. We've seen and heard from other presidents that may have options with the Big 12 saying that they would not want to make a move until they see that information um, and that they want to stay together. We'll see. Um, but so that is the latest for this week's update on the Pac-12 media negotiations as we stretch into May, uh, mid-May. Number three, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, their boards officially approved the contracts to join the SEC next year. This is obviously just kind of a formality, but this happened on Friday. Oklahoma's Board of Regents approved the contract with both conferences to make the switch, and Texas Board of Regents also said that their president could sign agreements to move Texas to the SEC. So the schools will officially, officially join the SEC on July 1st, 2024. Uh, they are going to be in the league this year. It's going to be a 14-team Big 12. Going to be interesting. We've already talked a lot about the way that the schedule is going to work and how they're going to be going to Provo. They're going to be going to some of these new members. Uh, but it, it, we are officially on, on the last legs. One year, lame duck, and then everyone's off to make those moves. USC, UCLA going to the Big Ten. Texas, Oklahoma to the SEC. All of that is going to be just a you know a little bit over a year from now. That'll be the start date. Yeah, we, we've got SEC meetings in Destin coming up here real soon. I don't think Oklahoma and Texas are there. Do we know? Uh, they they may be. I know they've been in SEC meetings, yeah. um, and they were not in person at the Big Twelve meetings yeah. this 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 past uh, this past few weeks. So I, I think that that's possible. I know they've definitely had input. I don't think they're voting members yet, but. You know, I, I'm sure that they have expressed their preferences on on scheduling formats and those things, which we hope to get out of Destin at the end of the month at SEC meetings. Yeah, we'll see. I, Andy wrote a good column about it. There's still some holdouts wanting to do the eight games. Will it be done by Destin? 
I guess we will have to wait and see on that. I think Greg Sankey really would like that to be done. Number four, some transfer news. Uh, since we last recorded, Peyton Thorne, the former Michigan State starting quarterback, is going to Auburn. His uh, top receiver, Keon Coleman, has visited Florida State. I think he's visiting Ole Miss today. May or may not be visiting Auburn, depending on what you look at. Uh, some other transfers, Iowa added a former four-star Ohio State receiver, Caleb Brown, who had one catch last year. Miami continues to add a lot of cornerbacks from the portal. Added Vanderbilt cornerback Jadeus Richard, former four-star recruit in the class of 2022. So the portal is closed, but only from a uh, entrance point. And not even totally in that way, because grad transfers can still enter the portal, which we have seen. Uh, people still have, you still got a few weeks. I don't remember the exact deadline. I think it's in June before you have to pick a school so you'll be eligible for the next season. So we our, our, our live transfer tracker on the athletic college football site is still ongoing lots of news there check that out uh, if you want to know the latest there uh well the deadline was may 1st last year wasn't it i think it was may 1st for fall sports so i it's a good question about you know because of the way the portal window lined up if you're mm -hmm. in there by then that probably works because i'm pretty sure that's what jordan addison did he he got jumped into the portal right before that deadline. So I think it's May 1st and July 1 for for winter ath winter sport athletes, but we'll uh we'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. We were right around that time and again, the players who entered the portal during the windows um you know, they're the ones that everyone's fighting over and trying to fill out their rosters and we're going to get some some former decisions there as well. Uh number 5 Maybe some Big Ten impact on recruiting for USC. We all know they added Bronny James on the basketball side. He committed to USC last week after very interesting uh, and anticipated recruitment. USC also added a star 2025 safety, Anquan Begins. And it leads me to this question of, are we already seeing the impact of the Big Ten move for USC, because these are players who are going to play in the Big Ten. And, you know, is that impacting the way that they're making decisions? Are they looking at the exposure that they're going to have with the new media rights deals and that they're going to be playing on Fox and CBS and NBC, that they're going to be making more money, their schools are going to be making more money in the Big Ten. So their resources, their coaches will be making more money Chris, do you think that that is having a a that is a factor for some of these early moves that we're seeing for some of these couple years out? I think it is a factor for some players. I mean, we saw Dante Moore, the five-star quarterback, flip from Oregon to UCLA in the last recruiting class, uh, and he said, you know, playing in the Big Ten was a factor. It'll be a lot easier for his family to see him play road games. I don't think it had an impact on Bronny James. Uh, LeBron plays in Los Angeles. Uh, Bronny may be a one and done player. It's, right. He may not actually. He, yeah, he may not. Play. His first season is not going to be in the Big Ten. If he's not, if he's not a one and done, then he will play in the Big Ten in year two, which is going to be a, a whole media circus around him. Bronny had been considering Oregon, Ohio State, uh, USC. And you know, we, we have some good stuff on the athletic college basketball side about where Bronny fits in with that team. And he may come off the bench like he, they have a lot of good guards on that team. So we'll see. But the you know, LeBron has long said he wants to play with his son. 
his contract technically expires after the next season, but he does have a player option. So whether Bronny is a one and done or a two and done, it may be able to line up, but we got to see what Bronny looks like as a college basketball player first. But can you imagine if Bronny James is coming to Piscataway, New Jersey as a sophomore to play Rutgers in basketball? Why does everyone always use Rutgers as the example here? I mean, every conference has a punching bag. There's a Vanderbilt. There's a. Yeah, uh, but a, a Kansas Rutgers has been making basket NCAA tournaments. Okay, like not in this sport, but also you know, I mean, I, I get it, but it would be interesting. I obviously, know there's factors with Bronny, but I'm wondering as we're starting to see 2025 commits and players or transfers that might know that they're going to play in the Big Ten, how much that ends up factoring in. I mean, we've heard it or we've seen it or suggested it a little bit on the UCLA side, but. I mean, you just add that in for Lincoln Riley, who's already such a great recruiter, Southern California, the resources that are going to be just, again, continually enhanced by going to the Big Ten and bringing in more money. I just could see it becoming an even better recruiting tool for Riley and USC. And obviously having success on the field plays into this too, which they finally had last season breaking through Heisman Trophy contender back this year. There's a lot of positive momentum but i have to think that the big 10 move is only going to help them and i think we're going to continue to see that as we're getting into recruiting classes that will for sure be playing their whole careers in the big 10 no yeah potentially and and i i think you know usc has already fixed the recruiting issues that were in place under clay elton onward and upward for lincoln riley and that'll continue into the big 10 Okay, let's switch gears into our happy hour. This is the part of the show. We talk about something that we're excited about or something that intrigues us. And I'll go, I'll say this is something that intrigues me um, because I don't think anyone's universally ever happy with preseason rankings. But Stu gave us his updated post spring top 25. And I'm looking at it right now. I'm scrolling, you can read it on The Athletic came out on May 4th, if you're looking for the date. And there are some adjustments. Obviously, Georgia stayed number one overall, but he slid LSU up from four to two. Michigan dropped down from two to three. USC jumped up from six to four. Ohio State dipped a little bit. So it's just a little bit of movement. Washington slide uh, slid up a little bit uh, to number seven. But most of the top 10 is relatively the same. Tennessee sneaks in there at number 10. Chris, what jumped out to you about Stu's top 25? Well, first was LSU at number two. He had them up from four going into the spring. And and you realize that this LSU team is very, very loaded. A lot returning from last year's team, including Jaden Daniels at, at quarterback um, and Harold Perkins on the line. And LSU's going to be a really interesting team. You They, they may be the preseason SEC West pick. They probably won't be, but they probably should be, right? I mean, we always pick Alabama because it's Alabama, but Alabama coming out of spring, major quarterback concerns. That's why you go get Tyler Buckner, who wasn't even that good at Notre Dame. Uh, They need help at quarterback. LSU, LSU might be the team in the West. What do you think? I don't think they're going to be picked for the reason that you just said that people don't like to pick against Alabama because it's still Nick Saban and you're still assuming that 
even if there is a drop off, a little bit of a drop off in talent or uncertainty at certain positions or depth or whatever, change of coordinators, that he'll still figure it out. But I think you're right. If you just look on paper and you take that out of the equation, LSU, a team that played for an SEC title, um, was ahead of schedule in Brian Kelly's first year and bringing back all of that talent that you just mentioned, especially Harold, Harold Perkins. I mean, he's going to be Oof. so fun to watch. Um, he's going to be, if he didn't break out, if we don't qualify him as a breakout player last year, he'll, he'll certainly break out nationally this year. Um, but if LSU is good, like Jaden Daniels is going to be a Heisman contender. Like they, they, they're going to be at that level. I, I think it, they sort of, I'm going to say float under the radar a little bit because again, it's Alabama. We've been very hyper-focused on their quarterback situation concerns there, but also just that Georgia is one and Georgia is coming off back-to-back national titles. So yes, I know they're in the different divisions. I know all that's hopefully going to change with the schedule, but you still have the, the team that's the gold standard in the sport in your conference. So I think that that has colored it a little bit as well, but I, I think it's definitely defensible to have LSU this high. Um, and again, I, I think really God, you look at the top five, you look at the top 10 and I, all of this is defensible. I understand why Stu is moving a couple of these teams up by one or two or down by one or two, because there's a lot of teams that are returning a lot of talent. And then there's teams that always pretty much reload that have some question marks, but you just don't really want to count them out. And so that is something that jumps out to me as well. I mean, like he still has got Alabama at number six. They dropped one from five. I mean, like even with those concerns, People are going to have them, if not the favorite in the West, they're still going to have them in the top 10 and they'll be comfortably in the top 10. Uh, it's interesting that I, I, the one that the, the couple of teams that I think we've talked a lot about this off season and expect to be kind of media darlings or dark horses for the playoff, they're both still in here in his top 10, but they both dropped down a little bit and that's Penn state at number eight and Florida state at number nine. Uh, These are like two programs I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about the roster construction, the young talent that Penn State has, uh, the the experienced talent, like the the way that Florida State has gotten better um, and more consistent because of that offensive line and and the different the growth that they've had there and Jared Verse coming back and those types of things as well. Um, So I'm a little surprised that those dipped down and that both of those teams are still ranked below Alabama. They're also now ranked behind Washington. So it certainly seems like Stu is a believer in what Kalen DeBoer is building. One last one here. I think the biggest mover, it was either TCU or Texas from not ranked to 19. And if you watch Texas's spring game, Quinn Ewers looks healthy. He looks back to the player who almost beat Alabama. He's got a ton of wide receivers. He's got all of his offensive line back. The defense should be pretty solid again. And Texas is like top five, I think, in betting odds to win the national championship, like top six or seven, based on some of the places I was seeing in terms of national championship spots. It's Texas, and I'm going to do the Ari thing where I duck under the duck under the desk when I want to talk about them, but. Should Texas be a lot higher than 19? Because I'm kind of talking myself into it. I think with Texas, it's always safer to lower the expectation 
and then overachieve because we do this and we put this pressure on them, but we also just talk ourselves into them because, and this is, this is why Ari needs to duck and, and why Ari's whole life philosophy makes a lot of sense to a lot of people because you just look at the talent, right? And you look at what on paper Texas will have. I, I also wonder if just having the certainty at the quarterback position and the fact that Sark said that Quinn Ewers is going to be his guy is going to affect the way that we view this team as well. You you know who you're getting. We saw what he looked like when he's healthy. Should have beat Alabama last year. And I, I wonder if that helps. Just that like Sark knows it's his guy. They know who's going to be their quarterback. And they're moving forward with that and all the weapons that he's got offensively. Like it's going to be fun. But I, I just I, I'm I'm one who is I'd rather have them at 20 and then them end up in the top five than go in the opposite direction. So uh, it's kind of like the Alabama thing. Like I'll rather pencil Alabama in and be wrong than doubt Nick Saban and be wrong that way. And you'd rather just doubt Texas because you're probably not going to be wrong. Right. Historically, that's probably a safer bet. I think that I think that's a good call. All right. I, th I think we need to get into the big story. Now. I think we need to get into we the do. gambling issues. We do. Okay. It's time to go on the rocks. This is the part of the show where we talk it out. There is friction somewhere in the sport, and we are going to help you work through it. This week's rocky relationship is between college sports and gambling. Uh, are we going to see more investigations into athletes' own behaviors? Are we going to see more investigations into coaches? like Alabama's baseball coach, Brad Bohannon, who was fired after they noticed, uh, you know, unusual betting behavior on college baseball game. Chris, you have been knee deep in this for a while now, and you have been covering this. You've been talking to experts in the field. You have a great piece kind of just explaining how and why this is happening and also how people around it are thinking about it, how integrity services and monitoring works, surveillance, all of those things. So what do you make of the fact that now we have 41 current student athletes, I think current, maybe current and former student athletes at Iowa and Iowa State being investigated for gambling and gambling adjacent behavior? It's complicated. And it's, 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 it's really interesting timing because back in January, I started to just put together some research on just like, like, what's the state of sports gambling in college sports now that this is all legal? Like, where did things stand? And then about a month ago, you have some NFL players suspended for gambling. And I go, all right, it's time to like get on this and start doing this. So I'm starting talking to a lot more people. And I go on a lead one athletic director association, like Zoom thing where they, they talk with a bunch of gambling experts to try to educate athletic departments about how this stuff works and what they can do. And at the end of the panel, all four are asked, what are the odds within the next three years that there will be a major college sports betting scandal? And all of them said 100%. It's going to happen. That exact day is when the Alabama thing went down, when the bet was placed in Cincinnati. And now here we are couple weeks later and this stuff may be going on at a lot other places it has never been easier to bet 
it is easy. You can do it on your phone. There's peer pressure to do it when your, your, your friends are doing it. There's all kinds of stuff. There's all sorts of possibilities. Ever since it was the federal ban ended in 2018, and since then, more and more states have legalized it. I think it's up to 31 or 33 states. It's also never been easier to track it. And that's because legalized gambling is one of the most monitored things in this country. Because the entire point is that it's credible, that it's legitimate. And any concern that sports betting is not on the up and up is going to freak everybody out. And as as the Louisiana Gaming Commissioner said, the system would crater. So you are going to see this happen more. You are going to see people get caught more. The levels of which they're doing it, it depends. There's a difference between point shaving and a difference between a football player betting on the NBA Finals. Last year, a story that really went under the radar, I think, was a Virginia Tech player was suspended for nine games, reduced to six for betting on the NBA Finals, for self-reporting. He said, hey, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to do this. Here's what happened. The NCAA came, came down on him pretty hard. So... That may be what's going on with this Iowa State stuff. We don't know. There, there are not more details. But this is a huge, huge thing. And there's a real possibility of us entering a moment here where this is stuff like this is going to come out at a lot of other places, potentially. So part of this stems from the fact that college athletes are not allowed to bet on. Like This is not when you see this headline, don't assume that they were betting on like their own sport. They're not allowed to bet on other sports that are sponsored by the NCAA. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Any sport. Like, so you for football, you can't bet on basketball, anything like that. Okay. So again, I think that that is important distinction because that's where it becomes incredibly easy to do. And despite being educated on what you can and can't do, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of these States, like I live in a state where mobile sports betting is legal. It is so easy. So I could easily see athletes betting on sports that aren't their own or don't involve any team with players they know and thinking, well, this this will be okay. But that's the type of behavior. Like this is why everyone has to crack down on it because the worst thing that could possibly happen here is that people turn on an NCAA sporting event, college sporting event, and they don't believe that it's an even playing field. And these things aren't always you know, really even, right? Like we know there's differences in resources or you're closer to talent. We know, we know all the reasons that like these things aren't, you know, a utopia in the first place, but you want to believe that the game is being played fairly and that no one is throwing the game. No one is point shaving. No one has money riding on it or pass along information about who is going to play or not play to somebody else who is making money. Like that's what this is about. It's the integrity of the game so that your audiences and everyone involved in the game feel that they're playing a fair game. Um, I, I do think that in these situations we've seen so far, certainly with Alabama, the surveillance and like the integrity monitoring system worked. It was less than a week later that Brad Bohannon was fired after he was involved in the bet that was placed. In this situation, it seems like the State Gaming Association jumped in here in the state of Iowa. Um, I don't know that the NCAA has resources to actually investigate these things themselves. Like, 
you need right. the, the integrity services. You need these surveillance systems to do it. And so it, what's interesting to me about the Iowa one is that the State Gaming Association jumped in here. Yes. And that's what we don't know as to why. That's why the line potential criminal conduct is interesting. The sportsbooks don't necessarily care if you break NCAA rules. That's not really what it's about. That's why the Alabama thing was different, because this was sounds like it may have been a just completely haphazard and stupid way to get caught if you're on the phone talking to somebody in the sportsbook. And the sportsbook is like, hey, this doesn't seem legitimate. Let's look into this. Right. Uh, well, or in, in that situation, Chris, right, it was way more money than is typically bet on a college baseball game, right? Well, we don't know exactly the details. That's one thing that Alabama and everybody, I think, will have to be very transparent about at the proper time. I'm still being investigated, but yes. But 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 the something that would be flagged would be a surprising size of a it, bet. It, it could be a surprising size of a bet. It could be the history of that account. If that's a brand new account that, that places a bet, if it's an account that infrequently bets low amounts of money and then boom, huge bet there. Stuff like that draws red flags that firm U.S. integrity. They work with every pro sports league. They work with SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, almost every domestic sports book or gaming commission in the country right now. And they have a lot of these tools to flag these things. The, 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 the president of the group told me they flag 10 to 15 things per month. There are maybe a 10, 10 or so arrests or suspensions per month that has increased proportionally with more states allowing sports betting. And what's really one of the most interesting things to me, I, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but or if it will in the future, but like two weeks ago, that group US integrity released a beta product called Prohibet, where teams can put in their a list of players, coaches, trainers, everybody into an encrypted system that works with the sports books. And if any of those people have an account or create an account and place a bet, it instantly gets flagged. And that will get sent to the school, that will get sent to potentially the gaming commissions, anybody that needs to be involved in that. And that tool may be something that catches a lot of players and coaches in the near future here. I don't know for sure it's in the beta form, but it's coming. These tools are in place to check if these things are going. College sports has a very long history with gambling scandals. I wrote a story on Tuesday about it, and I couldn't even fit all of them in there. Point shaving in the 40s and 50s, Tulane basketball, Arizona State basketball, Boston College basketball and football, Toledo uh, in the mid-2000s, an Auburn basketball player in 2012. So, like, these things were happening long before it was legalized. It's just now a lot easier to do it it's also a lot easier to get caught if you're doing it illegally, if you're doing it offshore or, or bookies or whatever, that can't be monitored. So the people in the gambling industry feel like, hey, it's a good thing that this Alabama thing happened, that this got caught. It showed that the system worked. That may be the case, but I think it's also obviously true that more people are doing this type of activity. Like you said, you live in a state where it's legal. I don't. I live in a state where it's not. You know, you can kind of figure things out from there uh, in, in, in what goes on with that. So I understand there are a lot of people very upset about it. A lot of people have said this was bound to happen. This is ruining college sports. Mark Emmert may or may not have been vindicated <laughs> based on what you said at the beginning of this. But we got to see how this plays out. I would just caution, like we said, 
there's a big difference between a basketball player betting on a football game and actual point shaving. And that's what we kind of need more details on. Okay, so so this is tangentially related. Um, but like my mind goes there and I know we've talked about it related to the Lions too, but all of these sports and media companies and entertainment venues and individual stadiums, even in college sports, right? Athletic departments have partnered with betting companies. I turned on, I think it was around the horn yesterday. And like, it's not even taking up the full screen because there's like a whole, like a, like a, like a panel on the left of the screen. That's just prop bets Mm -hmm. and betting lines for the night because the show is running you know, before dinner time and people, you know, could get their bets in for the night's action. So my issue with some of this just on a, like at a higher level is how can you expect people not to do this, to not be influenced by influencers and from ads everywhere. And the fact that athletes know that they're the rest of the students at their school can do this if it's legal in that state. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not, right? We, like you said, it's been happening before it was legalized. But I, I just, I don't, it bothers me that, and I get that there are different rules and like it's a privilege, not a right, blah, 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 to play sports. So there are rules that you have to abide by. But everyone around them is directly participating in deals with these betting companies or profiting from them. Like how many leagues and again, individual revenue streams have we seen come from betting companies? And obviously it's a bigger issue in pro sports, but we've seen college athletic programs jump in and do this as well. And obviously that a lot of colleges are in states where it's legalized. And so all the other students on campus can do this without any issue. So I I don't know. I just, I kind of wrestle with that where it's just really hard for me to get to it, let's let's say that there are athletes who play college football and bet on the NBA postseason games. That's hard for me to get worked up about because everyone else on their campus can do that. Well, that that's what the that's what the NFL thing was. You had a couple players suspended indefinitely for betting on NFL games. That's totally understandable. The couple of players who were only suspended six games bet on other sports they just did it in the team facility which you're not allowed to do so that's why there's a level between this but you're right it's inescapable there are bet mgm ads on my story about betting in college football like we understand that we're all part of this and we're all involved in this in some form not like you know we we determine that or something like that at least four colleges partnered with sports books you had michigan state and lsu with caesars you had maryland and colorado with points bet. Um, and that really jumps out. The official sports book of whatever school, when players are not allowed to place almost any bets, it's extremely weird. But those deals are unwinding. They are done. The points bet deals were done. Michigan State told me that they are in the process of ending their relationship with Caesars. The American Gaming Association put out guidelines saying that sports books should not partner with colleges. I think everybody realizes they probably went too far. You know, when Caesars, or when LSU sent an email to everybody on their email list and said, hey, here's a free bet for Caesars. And some of the people on your email list are not legally allowed to gamble yet because of how old they are. It's everywhere. And if you if you don't care for gambling, if you don't like it, uh, it's extremely annoying. And it, it, there's absolutely huge concern 
for problem gambling. And that's when you know, I talked to the head of the National Council on Problem Gambling, and he's very concerned that if a college athlete has a problem gambling issue, they will not come forward because they will be suspended for a long period of time, even if it's not even for not betting on their own team and that there needs to be safe harbor reporting for this kind of stuff or that they're not going to come forward until they get caught. And these are the things that need to be looked at. You and I, a couple weeks ago in Dallas, Charlie Baker, the new NCAA president, spoke to a group of athletic directors and was asked about gambling. And he said they're looking into kind of how they handle this stuff. They're going to do some surveys, how many people gamble who are college age, how many people gamble who are college athletes, and kind of figure some stuff out from there. Because you're right, it is a bit weird. There is certainly a lot of peer pressure if you're just a kid in Virginia who can legally bet on sports, but if you play football, you can't bet on you know basketball or something like that. There are a lot of concerns on a lot of angles from this. That's why I tried to touch on every single angle in that story that I wrote. There's no clear answer to any of this. It's just the reality that we're in now and colleges and teams are going to have to adapt to this to try to make sure it doesn't spin out of control and become a bigger issue where something like point shaving happens. We'll continue to cover this. I'm sure there will be more to talk about next week on Power Hour. So we'll table it for now. Uh, We'll wrap things up with our last calls. This is the point in the show where we cheers or jeers. We celebrate something that we maybe didn't have a chance to get to earlier. We rant one last time, get something off our chest. It's whatever we might be doing as the bar is closing and we're having our last drink. Uh, Chris, I'm going to go first because it's it's semi-related to you and I know you need to clarify things so I don't have all the facts, but I saw that you were posting about the Westminster Dog Show and how a dog that I believe has lived under your own roof and is related to dogs you have won something. So please, first of all, congratulations. Love the Westminster Dog Show. But also, I really don't know how it works, so I'm not sure what the dog won or how you're related to this dog. So please explain. I am not related to the dog. Uh, I am a human being. Uh, but it, it is a um, it's not a cheap dog. Uh, if you follow my Twitter account or my Instagram, you see a lot of pictures of them. Um, we, we have a few. We know a lot of people that have them. And one of our friends uh, who has a dog won best of breed at Westminster Dog Show. I mean, they, they won among the Icelandic sheepdogs at the show on Monday in New York. And they advanced to the herding, the big herding group later that night uh, on FS1. Uh, didn't win, didn't win group, but still very cool to get there to win best of breed a great accomplishment for the dog, Andy, and its owner, uh, Adrian, who's been uh, staying with us for a bit. And yeah, that dog is the father of the puppies that have been in our house for the last two months or so. Uh, if you've, again, seen it on my Twitter feed or heard them barking on this podcast before, uh, he's the father. And so now they are uh, the, the kids of a, a Westminster winning dog. So that was very cool. So thank you for that. Cheers. Well, congratulations. Uh, My cheers is for mothers. We have Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. And so I just wanted to give a big old cheers to all the moms out there who do great work. Uh, My mother, Barb, uh, was a great mother growing up. Uh, Supported me in all the various things I did. And I wouldn't be here without her. So happy Mother's Day to every mother out there. Happy Mother's Day to my mother as well and everyone's. 
it's, uh, we always talk about dads in sports a lot, but it's also moms that teach you your love about sports. Talk to the moms. If you're ever writing a story about a player to all the young journalists out there, I know you want to talk to the dad, talk to the mom, the moms have better stories. And a lot of them also were directly involved in teaching. Yes their athlete how to play that sport um you see it a lot with basketball that you know players moms played themselves but i mean there's so many great stories of of football moms who taught themselves certain things about the game so that they could teach their son um i'm thinking back about now that i'm thinking about moms and sons uh ty johnson he played at maryland his mom used to like teach him plays with like pennies on the kitchen table it was just really cool Mm -hmm. so everyone was a different position they move them around really awesome so Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there a little bit early. If you're listening to this during the week, you still have time to set up a flower delivery, get a present. It's time. Think about it now. Um, But anyway, everyone enjoy your day. Treat your mom well. We love you. And that'll do it for Power Hour this week. We will be back next week as always. So for Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.